0: Welcome to the Asset Management Mastery Podcast. Your hosts, Gary Lipsky and Kyle Mitchell, have more than 50 years of combined experience in operations and management, and more than 25 years of real estate investing experience. This show focuses on educating syndicators and apartment owners on how to build systems and manage their properties more efficiently to become a best-in-class operator. 100% straight talk. Let's jump in.
1: Hey, everyone. Welcome to our Asset Management Friday segment of the Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate Podcast. I'm your co-host, Kyle Mitchell, also joined by Gary Lipsky. Also, be sure to check out our Facebook group, Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate.
0: How many
2: times have you thought there has to be a better way while working through endless rent rolls and historicals? Enter Red IQ, who will process and standardize them generate deep and accurate property insights, and bring you through the final underwriting all in just five minutes. As for underwriting, thanks to RedIQ's new Excel add-in called QuickSync, you can continue using your own model and instantaneously populate it with the data from RedIQ with just the click of a button. Request a demo today at RedIQ.com.
1: All right. Today on the show, we have Michael Becker. How you doing, Michael? Hey, doing pretty good. How are you, Kyle? Doing well, thanks. If you can start by telling the listeners a little bit more about yourself and what you currently do. Yeah. So Michael
3: Becker, based in Dallas, Texas, principal of a company called SPI Advisory. So we Currently own about 6,000 units between North Texas, Dallas-Fort Worth area where I live, as well as in the Austin MSA. We've done the last, I guess, twenty, thirty, seven, seven, eight years now. We've purchased over 10,000 units, gone full cycle on several of them. So as I mentioned, about 4,000 units today, and hopefully we'll be getting a couple more under contracting, growing here shortly.
2: Welcome, Michael. Let's talk about disposition. You mentioned you had a few properties go full cycle. What point do you start planning the sale of that property?
3: Well, by a deal, we typically have some sort of base case that we want to kind of underwrite to and we have a projected hold period. So, you know, we kind of start with the onset of planning out when do we expect to sell it. But it's a continual thing where we're constantly monitoring what's going on in the marketplace because we're active buyers and sellers and we refinance a bunch of our properties as well. So we're constantly monitoring what's going on in the capital markets. And if we think we can achieve at or above where we rejected initially, say maybe in 5 years, and we have several deals that we sold in say 2 years because rents grew faster than we thought they would, cap rates compressed. That was a lot of what happened early on in the last cycle. And so, yeah, we're just constantly monitoring the situation. If we feel like it's a good time, we have a loan maturing coming up or something along those lines, we'll deviate from the initial plan and try to go a little bit early or say, hey, we want it a little bit longer because there's some big new employer announced down the street. And we think we want to wait a little bit longer for those jobs to deliver. And we think the rental rates will outpace the current growth rate. So you've now decided you want to sell
2: that property. What is the process of getting your property ready for that sale?
3: We'll certainly go out and typically solicit several broker's opinions of value or BOVs is what we'll call it. So we'll typically get anywhere from two to four, but say two or three is pretty typical. And then we'll see where they're at. And we'll use that process to decide who we want to list it with. If we go through a full-blown marketing of an asset, and then we'll talk with them and kind of look at our financials and say, okay, you know, hey, we're we're always going of see in the snapshot of what the recent past was, where we are, and then we try to look forward a couple months. And if we see we a good example about a year ago... Last summer, summer 2019, we ended up listing a property for sale. 'Cause I saw that we had a rough kind of start to the year. We had a little dip in occupancy. Then I saw my collection or my occupancy snap back and I saw that I was leased 99 percent. And over the next thirty days, those vacant units would actually be occupied. And then thirty days after that, my income would spike up as well. So I kind of saw the future coming a little bit, and we saw that the current market environment it was really tight and there's a lot of interest in this size of property and this vintage of property and the general location that we own that asset. So we kinda of saw it coming. We knew the time. To go was 10 minutes ago, we need to get ready and hit the market as soon as possible. So that was something we saw coming. So kind of just being in tune to what's going on operationally on all your assets on all the time. And how does that coincide with what the current market conditions are and what your basic returns would be? And can you get your investors to be happy with X amount return? And that was a combination of all those things we put together and determined it was a good time to go to market and sell it. And that's exactly what we did. Yeah,
2: you only know that if you're really watching those KPIs. It's really great insight on timing that. What advice do you give someone that's never gone full cycle before, like some of the lessons that
3: you've learned? I think it's never always easy. Sometimes it goes real smooth like that sale I just mentioned to you, and then we had a deal that was supposed to close on March 19th. And the buyer's lender froze on March seventeenth, so two days before, and the deal kind of blew up. So you know, I didn't foresee a global pandemic cratering the marketplace and stopping a lot of the activity. But you know, that deal we're just about to put back together, and hopefully get that deal tied up and sold here down the road. So you obviously have a plan, but things change. You need to kind of roll with the punches as well, making sure that it's never done till the wire goes. I learned that a long time ago. Even though this deal was all but done, and we thought for sure it was going to close two days before it didn't. So, you know, making sure that you're on top of it, making sure that you're focusing on operations even through the entire time that's an escrow. Sometimes it doesn't close or sometimes if you mess your operations up, it could impact your buyer's ability to get whatever debt that they assume that they were going to get. Run it like you're going to own it regardless whether it's an escrow or not. Those are some of the tips. And just because the deal's in contract doesn't necessarily mean it's going to close. That's, that's unfortunately a lesson I learned a couple of times.
2: That's great advice. Have you ever done a 1031 into another property? And if so, what are some of the lessons that you've learned from that process?
3: Yeah, we've done some 1031s. we helped other people that had 1031s when they sold a property. And then we formed a TIC or tenant in common with them. And so, yeah, just trying to make sure that as soon as you know that you have the deal kind of awarded, you work out your net proceeds. And even before it closes, we tend to try to get going and trying to find a replacement property ahead of time because ultimately we'd want to have the deal. Tied up in escrow lockdown right around the time that the deal closes, you know, certainly want to have that done before the 45 day identification period's up. So the sooner you start on that, the better off you are. I think people, if you kind of wait till the 11th hour and just kind of identify some properties, you have more chances of not being able to meet the required deadlines and maybe identifying a property you don't actually have the ability to do. And if you're short on your time to ID a property, sometimes you might have to feel the pressure to overpay maybe a little bit more than if you started maybe 30, 45 days for the deal actually close. That gives you you a good, say, 60 to 90 day kind of window to go try to find the replacement property. Well, after you sold the property, what are some of the things you need to do afterwards as far as winding things down or whatnot? I mean, if it's a 1031, obviously, making sure you have a good accommodator identified. If you're doing something a little bit more complicated, like a tick or 10 uncommon, we'll typically employ or have our partner employ a tax lawyer just to make sure that we run through everything, making sure you understand if you're going to go from one deal to another deal, and there's a rehab component to the new deal you're buying, and you have some CapEx dollars, is that going to generate boot? That's certainly something that anything that's not dollars don't go to purchase for the actual piece of real estate, potentially be treated as boot, which then would be taxable for the exchange. And then if you're just selling a deal, then you're not going to do an exchange making sure that you look at your payables that you still have outstanding. Don't over distribute that money. Make sure you talk to the management company, have a good sense of what's going to be payables. Make sure that you set aside enough money, pay your CPA to file the final tax return or two, pay any sort of state franchise tax that you might have. In Texas, we have state franchise taxes. Make sure you don't forget about those in your calculation and distribute the bulk of the money, but put enough aside so then you can kind of wind the entity down. I made a mistake once on the first two we did. I accidentally was on vacation. I went too quick and over distributed and I had to claw back 20, 20 or 25 grand post-closing. Never want to go try to get that money back. So just making sure you're having a good sense and then pad that number a little bit that you have enough margin for error in case something comes out of left field. You're not having to claw money back from your investors.
2: Yeah, I'm sure that wasn't easy. Yeah. Walk us through your biggest challenge you faced when selling a property.
3: Really, it's about, do I go now or do we kind of wait till a further point in time? Because you're just going to make a decision based on the available information you have in front of you right now. And then the future is uncertain. So the further out you go, the less certain it is going to be. So we sold a lot of deals in 2015, 2016, 2017, that if we just would have held, would have been worth a lot more money. But it was a great return at the time. And when you're first getting pro cycling, your first handful of deals... I think it's important when you're young in the business, if you're a first-time or a young sponsor in the business, to get that track record to go full cycle. If you really want to make this a business and scale your ability to raise capital and do bigger deals, because going full cycle on these deals, having that track record speaks volumes to your current investor pool, as well as maybe potential investors that might want to come bring capital to you. So I think it's important to be able to go full cycle in some of these deals. But it's always making that decision and then having the benefit of hindsight a couple of years down the road to judge that decision was like, crap, we sold too soon on a lot of these deals. But if you really think about a full picture, a 360 degree of it, if I didn't sell this deal, I probably wouldn't have been the ability to raise capital by the next deal Mm -hmm. and then the next deal and nothing's in a vacuum. So I don't really have too many regrets on anything we sold. A couple of them would have been a little nicer to hang on another year or two because the cap rate certainly compressed quite a bit between 2016 and 2019 especially in the workforce housing stock, which is what the first deals we did and the first deals that we sold.
2: Absolutely. I'm going to hand it off to Kyle and wrap this up. Choosing the right insurance coverage for multifamily properties isn't that complicated, if you know who to talk to. At the Garzella Group, we're uniquely qualified to help you navigate the range of policy choices you have, and we're committed to saving you 30% in the process. We do intensive market research and have nationwide relationships so we can find coverage other insurance brokers simply can't. We should talk. Go to Quotenow.biz and we'll start the
1: conversation. All right, Michael, what is your asset management superpower? (laughs) I hired a really good guy,
3: so I got a lot of experience. So he's real good and I think we got a real seasoned person. So I think that's certainly been very helpful the last couple of years, having a really seasoned asset manager has been doing this a long time. And sometimes depending on the deal, we try to craft some of the levers we pull. So for example, we're right in the middle of a refinance of one of our properties. We were kind of going full throttle, really trying to push a bunch of upgrades. Well, we knew we were going to be in the process of refinancing. So dollars collected this month matter a lot more right now because that could have a big, relatively large swing in loan proceeds. So pulling back a little bit on the aggressiveness of raising Rents and doing an upgrade for a month or two so we can focus on collecting maybe a little bit more money in the short run so we can then get multiple of that probably of 8 or 10 and loan proceeds Makes sense to maybe adjust your short-term strategy to maximize our refinance, and then once the refinance close, we could turn the gas back on. And, you know, really start pushing for larger premiums on lease tradeouts when we're doing these upgrades. So trying to fit the situation to some of the levers we pull on the asset management side, of what the specific situation is, and trying to be holistic about the way we look at it. Nothing's in a vacuum, so just trying to make sure we're trying to consider all angles when we're making some of our decisions. But generally speaking, I think these deals that we're going to own for a while. It's not always about getting the biggest lease trade out. It's maybe about collecting more money this month than I did last month and trying to collect more money the following month than we do this month and really just trying to grow the rent collected in a monthly basis, whether that's maybe taking a negative lease trade out but not having that unit sit for 45 days vacant. Some decisions along those lines
1: as well. Yeah, perfect. All right. Well, thanks for coming on the show and talking to us about disposition and learn a few things today. Make sure you keep a pulse not only on your trailing numbers, but your forward looking numbers so that you know when to sell and position yourself. Never think a deal is done until it's completely closed. And then the biggest one that I took away is a re- kind of a reserve account post close to make sure that you haven't over distributed. So that was great information. If you could tell listeners a little bit more about where they can find more about you.
3: Yeah, it's really two ways to find out information about us. I'm a co-host of a podcast, Old Capital Real Estate Investing Podcast. So You can find that on iTunes or Stitcher or probably anywhere you hear my voice right now. You can find that or go to oldcapitalpodcast.com. So the website, you can find it there. Or the company I run is called SPI Advisory. So you just go to our company's website, which is www.spiadvisory.com. That's like, com. There's a contact us form you fill that out, we're always happy to send out information about potentially investing with us.
1: All right. Fantastic. And thanks for listening in. If you like this episode, please head over to iTunes or Stitcher, give us a rating, subscribe and review so we can continue to grow this podcast. And we'll talk to everyone next week.
0: Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please go to iTunes and leave a rating and written review to help us grow and reach more listeners. You can also go to the Asset Management Mastery Group on Facebook so you can reach Kyle and Gary and ask your questions that you want them to answer on the show. Subscribe too so you can get the latest episodes. Lastly, to stay updated, go to assetmanagementmastery.com and sign up for the newsletter. If you're interested in partnering with Gary and Kyle, sign up on the contact page so you can talk to them directly. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to tune in again next week for another episode.